be looking at the story that's recorded beginning in verse 9. We'll be looking at 9 through 14. If you don't have a Bible of your own, or if you have a friend or someone that you know that doesn't have one, you're welcome to take one of ours. We've got several on a cart to your left. Feel free to take, take it with you. So listen to these words from Jesus. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God for the people of God. So today's parable, today's parable, it strikes a little bit closer to home for me than maybe some of the other parables do. You see, I grew up in a church that's very different from the faith community that I'm a part of today. The church that I grew up in was extremely, and I'm telling you, extremely rules heavy. In fact, that's just about all we ever talked about when we went to church. We, we could talk about all the rules that we needed to follow. And so if you were to take a piece of paper, a page, and divide it into two columns, you could create two lists. And on the left-hand side of that page were all the things that were sins, all of those sins that were going to send you directly to hell. And then on the right-hand side of the page, you could write down all the virtuous things, the, the things that would get you in good, things that would give you extra credit in God's eyes. And so as I matured in my faith, it, it became increasingly clear to me that most of the things I enjoyed were actually on the left-hand side <laughs> of the page, the sinful side. So for example, I liked to dance. And I liked to sing songs with musical instruments. Amen. <laughs> and I know this will shock some of you, but I like to go swimming with both boys and girls. <laughs> but you see, I had to keep that quiet. I, I couldn't express that out loud for fear of being labeled a sinner in my church. Now, now, church, I, I want y'all to understand something about me. I wanted to do the right thing. I wanted to be on the right-hand side of that page. I knew all the right answers. I knew what I was supposed to say. And you know what? I worked at this thing. I worked extremely hard to be a good person. And so I made sure to put my mask on every morning before I left my house so that no one would ever see the real Dustin. And you see, that's why, that's why today's parable hits close to home. Because this short story was told to a specific group of, of people. If you'll look at what Luke says, listen to who Jesus is telling this to. Jesus told this parable to certain people who had convinced themselves that they were righteous and who looked on everyone else with disgust. Or, in other words, Jesus told this story to church people. 
Now, in the first century Middle Eastern world, this word righteous was an overarching term, and it applied to a certain group of people. These were the people who wore this righteous label because they were admirable for their morality. They obeyed all the Jewish laws, and they were generally known around town as being decent people. But you see, it even goes deeper than that. You see, righteousness, it, it also meant that God's grace rested even more abundantly on, a certain pe- on certain people or even a certain community of people. But you see, these people, instead of understanding that, that righteousness was bestowed to them because of God's grace, these people began to believe that because of what they had been doing, what they had done, that they had received righteousness kind of like a payment back. And so they naturally began to believe that they had every right to despise all of these other people who were not putting forth the same kind of effort that they had been putting forth to be righteous. So today's story has two characters. We have two men, two different believers with two very different understandings of both themselves and of God. And so this story, it opens up with these two men and they're they're heading to the temple to pray. Now for us, when we say we're going to go pray, we, we have an understanding that it's a private time of devotion with it's just us and God. And that's okay. But you see, in the first century world, this word had a, a much broader application. It was used the same way we use it, but it was also used kind of like we use the word worship. Such as, I'm heading off to church to worship, they would say, I'm heading off to the temple to pray, or they were going to worship. My grandmother always says she was going to, heading off to go to prayer meeting. So it's kind of that same idea. Now everyone always goes up to the temple in Jerusalem because you see the temple sits on top of a mountain there in, in the city. It's called the Temple Mount. And so you see twice a day there was this worship service that was being held at the temple for the people to come and attend. One was held at dawn, and the other would be held at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And so at both of these services, they would be identical. They would begin outside the, the temple area at a place called the Great Altar. And they would take a, an, an unblemished lamb, and they would sacrifice the lamb, and then they would sprinkle the, the lamb's blood all over the altar out there in front of everyone. And this was the sacrificial atonement for the sins of the entire nation of Israel. And when they did that, the the trumpets would begin to blast and and the cymbals would begin to clang and then someone would get up and begin to read a psalm message out loud. Once all that was finished, the priest, he would turn around and go back into the building and then everyone who had gathered for that worship service, they stayed outside. And that's when they would begin to have their own prayers. They would begin to pray to God. And so that is the setting of this short story today. The lamb's sacrifice has already been made and the ritual has been complete. And so now, it's now time for this personal prayer to be offered by all the participants who are standing around. The Pharisee takes the stage first. Now he's separated himself from all the rest of the worshipers. He's standing alone. And, and his posture indicates that well, he's got to keep himself away from all of these other people because these people are all unclean. And if he accidentally rubs up against one of these people, he too will become unclean, and that just won't be okay. And as a righteous man, he, he just cannot defile himself with all this trash that happens to be standing around him. Now, the Jewish custom of the day was that everyone would pray out loud. 
You could hear what everyone standing around you was saying in their prayer. And so you see the Pharisee, he has this perfect opportunity. He, he's going to get to preach to these same trashy people. I thank you, God, he says. I thank you, God, I'm not like any of these other people in this land. Now, Jesus' audience would have known immediately that there was something majorly wrong here. Because for first century Jewish people, prayer had to fall into one of three categories. Confession of sins, thanks for the blessings that have been received or harvest, petitions for yourself or for family members. And this Pharisee's prayer, it's not any of those, is it? He's not confessing. He's not being grateful for, for anything God has given to him. And he's not requesting any help. What this Pharisee is doing is, is nothing more than celebrating himself while at the same time having an opportunity to verbally attack all these other Jewish people. He wants God and he wants all of these people to know just how much he despises all of these sinners, these, these crooks, these evildoers, these adulterers. And not only that, he needs everyone to know exactly how awesome he actually is. Because then he says, I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of everything that I have. You see, in other words, he, he is so righteous that he's going beyond the requirements of the Jewish law. The, the Jewish law only requires people to fast one day per year, the Day of Atonement. Now, the other Pharisees, they, they do take it a little bit further. And so they, they fast around the three major feast days of the year. And so they're fasting for 12 days a year. But not this Pharisee. This Pharisee is so incredible that he is fasting for a total of 104 days every year. And you ought to be impressed about that. And you see, the law, it only requires you to tithe from grain, from oil, and wine. But that's not what this Pharisee is doing. He is tithing from everything he owns. Everything he has is now 10% to the temple. Nothing is off limits. He, this man has set the standards so high for himself that no one else can get any higher than he is. And you have to be impressed with this guy. He is so righteous. It's incredible. And Jesus' story shifts scenes now. From this amazingly righteous Pharisee to a tax collector. A man who has also separated himself from everyone else. But it's not because he's afraid of becoming unclean. It's because he doesn't feel worthy. He's not worthy to be around anybody. He, he too is standing towards the back of the crowd. He, he's afraid to get any closer to that altar because if he does, lightning's going to strike him. And he, like the Pharisee, has taken things to the extreme. But instead of celebrating how amazing he is, he actually is honest. He's brutally honest with who he is and, and with everyone around him. He, he takes that typical posture of prayer in the day and he, he stands with his head bowed and then he crosses his arms over his chest and he's so ashamed of himself. He's so ashamed he can't even lift his eyes and then he does something that's completely unexpected. 
out of this deepening distraughtness that he feels, he begins to beat his chest with his fist. He beats his chest right over where his heart is located. Now, you see, Middle Eastern men, they don't typically beat their chest. That's what women do. Women in their day and time, they would, they would beat their chest at funerals to show how sad they were. But men don't show the kind of emotion in the Middle East. In fact, if you read through Scripture, the only place in the New Testament where you find people who are actually beating their chest is in Luke's Gospel, chapter 23, when Jesus is on the cross, taking in his last breath. His followers are at the foot of that cross, and they are so distressed. They are beating their chests. So here is our tax collector. And he begins to pray. God, show mercy to me, a sinner. Now, what he actually says is this. God, make an atonement. Make an atonement for me, a sinner. Now, both of these men, they're standing before the great altar on which the blood of the lamb has been sprinkled for the sins of the entire Jewish nation. And both of these men, they're, they're standing away from the crowd, the Pharisee because of his self-righteousness and the tax collector out of his deep shame. And both of these men, they, they hear the trumpets blast and they hear the scripture read. And then both of these men, they, they see the priest disappear into the dark interior of the building in front of them to offer up the incense. And then both of these men, they see the priest reemerge, reappear, and they hear him announce that the sacrifice has been accepted by God. And yet neither of these men, they, they don't understand anything of what has actually taken place in front of them. This Pharisee leaves the worship service not realizing that he's not good enough. That all of this stuff that he's done, all this stuff that he thinks is getting him extra credit, it doesn't count for anything. But yet the tax collector, he, he's leaving believing that there is no possible way that the lamb's blood could make an atonement, this atonement he is so desperately wanting to receive. He leaves knowing that he's not good enough. And yet Jesus says that the tax collector actually leaves justified. Why does he say that? And the answer is located in Isaiah chapter 66. In the very last chapter of that book, the prophet says this. The one who slaughters an ox kills a person. The one who sacrifices a sheep breaks a dog's neck. The one who makes a grain offering offers swine's blood. The one who burns incense blesses an idol. All these have chosen their own ways and they prefer their detestable things. So I will choose to punish them, to bring horrors upon them since I called and no one answered. I spoke and no one heard, but they did evil in my eyes. What I didn't want is what they chose to give me. But listen to the Lord's word, you who tremble in his word. Your family members, those who hate and exclude you because of my name, they have said, let the Lord be glorified. Let's see your joy. But they will be ashamed. The sound of an uproar from the city, a sound from the temple, the sound of the Lord repaying his enemies. 
what they have earned. Now, church, here's the thing. God is the same yesterday and today and tomorrow. Amen? And the God of the Old Testament, he is the exact same God that Jesus is teaching us about. And so both in Isaiah and in today's short story, there is a man who is proud of himself and he offers what he wants to give to God, not what God is desiring from his people. And in both of these stories, a man who truly humbles himself before God, he is recognizing that he has missed the mark over and over again. And he shows us, he shows us this is what God is looking for. It's not about all the sacrifices you're making. It's, it's about having this, this contrite spirit within ourselves. You see, the problem is the Pharisee could never see the tax collector as anything other than a horrible sinner who's unclean and unworthy. And so according to the Pharisee, the tax collector is undeserving of God's grace, which means the Pharisee can never receive God's grace. And the tax collector is just the opposite. He knows he's not worthy. He knows he doesn't deserve anything that God has to offer. And that's why he's counted as being worthy. He, he is willing to extend the same kinds of grace and the same kind of compassion all around him to other people that he is so desperately seeking to receive from God. So you see, church, when I tell you that I worked really hard to be a good person, that I made sure I had my mask on every morning on my way out the door, what I'm telling you is I was the Pharisee. I was self-righteous. And I, like Jesus' audience, had convinced myself that I was better than other people. And so therefore I looked on them with disgust. But you see, at the end of every single day, whenever I got back home and I took my mask off, I knew deep down inside that I hadn't been good enough. And then one day, it finally hit me, church. I would never, ever be good enough. And so now I get it. I'm a tax collector. My eyes have to be turned down. I have to beat my chest. And I have to repeat over and over again. God make atonement for me a sinner in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit may the peace and grace of Jesus rest on your hearts Amen